All right, this morning I spoke to you on what I speak to you about. We were in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, which is theological, five through, uh, 4 through 6, which is, talks about behavior. And talking about that, we are moving on. Um, still in the same vein of thought. We're still in Ephesians to, to, to a large degree. And would you open your Bibles to Ephesians? I'm going to just call it stand. And from there, we'll see where God takes this in Ephesians chapter number 5. Yes, I was talking about inner man and outer man. And you do know that the Bible always, uh, God speaks to a whole. He doesn't speak to uh, parts of you. He speaks to you. You're a complete human being. You're not, you, you exist in one person. Although you have parts to yourself, you are one person. You are a, sp a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. He doesn't differentiate between the three dealing with you. He, he, he knows that you, we deal with certain aspects of you to fix issues and to talk through issues and where those issues come from. But it's generally you as a whole person that God deals with. But we are more concerned about what people see on the outside than we are concerned with what is happening on the inside. And if you, are, you don't fix what is in you, what is outside of you doesn't really matter. I said to you, we have mirrors for the outside, but we don't have a mirror for the inside. And the Word of God is the only mirror that you have to reflect inwardly because the mirror of God is not talking to you about your looks. The Word of God doesn't deal with your looks. It deals with the condition of your spirit man and how we are to relate to God. And it's imperative that you figure out what is happening on the inside of you because joy and happiness is not coming from what is outside of you. It comes from what is inside of you. That's why many people who have many things can still be very unhappy, not satisfied with what is in them. And in you is where the void happens. Where that's in you where that hole is that only God can fill. You can't fill what is in you with money. You can only fill what is in you with the Holy Spirit. He fills you. You are an earthen vessel made of clay. Clay speaks of your frailty, your fragility, your, your weakness. It's so easily broken and so easily damaged and so full of cracks. But the Holy Spirit fills that earthen vessels. And when he does, the glory of God shines through your weaknesses because in your weakness, God is strong. And it's when you ha have issues and struggles in life and you surrender that to God, God comes in his strength and he empowers you to be successful. And successful is not measured in, in the trajectory of continued step up in terms of wealth or uh, earthly success in, in, in the ladder, corporate ladder. That's not how God measures success because then th that means if God this year... God blessed you and he gave you a raise. Next year for God's blessing to be in your life, you have to get even a bigger raise. That's not how this works. That's how the JSE works, but that's not how Christianity works. Christianity is not connected to how you consistently climb the ladder of success measured in terms of wealth. Success means that you are, whatever is happening this year, you are still connected to God. You are still standing. You are still his and he is still yours. And your conviction is stronger than it was yet yesterday and your faith is still being built up in Christ Jesus, and he is still your Lord. That is what is important to God, that he remains, and that you would finish this race that he has set before you. We're jumping back into Ephesians, and, and Paul now gets to the end. He has spoken to you a lot about how you should walk, walk in the light, walk in wisdom, how you should handle marriage in chapter 5. We get to chapter 6. He talks to you about children and parents, bond servants and masters. And he gets to the, the last part. He says, finally. Well, how do we know it's the last part? Because he says, finally. How we know the pastor is done with the sermon is when he says, finally, brothers. I have three more points to make. <laughs> says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. He just prayed for, for that in chapter 3. He said that God would strengthen you on the inner man with his might. That you would be empowered to know what this hope of this calling is within you. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Some of us want to put on certain parts of the armor. You're not going to make it if you have certain parts of the armor. God. We get so used to people that we sort of, sort of start to, to accept their failures and blemishes and issues uh, and, and faults. And we, we begin to count that as part of the full person that you embrace. That's good. But, but in God, I don't think God embraces your sin nature. 
He's not going to go like, it's been 10 years and we know you're struggling with this, let's leave it. If you don't deal with it in your 20s, you'll deal with it in your 30s. And if you neglect to deal with it up all the way to your 80s, God won't let you die until he tries to deal with it. And he's going to nag you until it's done with. And he's going to continue persistently uh, thronging, is that the right word? You're, uh, knocking at the, the, uh, the doors of your heart to get that issue dealt with. God is dealing with the whole you. He wants to sort out things. And even though you're old, God doesn't go like, oh, it's just, it's you and I know you're struggling with this. He's going to work through things and, and cycles in your life. And the problem with this world in which we live is that everything happens in cycles. In Genesis 2, we know that he put the lights in the sky. Why did he put it there so that we can get telescopes and look at it? No, he put it there for seasons. He gives us the reason why he put the stars in the heavens. He put it there for seasons. It's written there in the scriptures. You can read it so that we would know and discern the seasons and the, the tides and everything would happen. Everything works in a cycle. And what you think you've overcome in your early teens, you'll be faced with again early in your 20s. And everything comes along again and it takes you deeper into the things of God as you deal with issues in your life. And a lot of things comes past your doorsteps again and over and over and over again. So Paul tells you in Ephesians, having dealt with a lot of theology and now practically explain how this plays out in your, in your life. He gets to this point, he says, but be strengthened in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God for this reason. Why? Why do you have to put on the whole armor? So that you can stand. All of that to say, that you may be able to stand. Stand against what? Stand against your church, stand against your friends, stand against the political parties at play. No, he says, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the plans of the devil, the devices of the devil, the strategies of the enemy, because he has a strategy. And don't think that with your 18 years of experience breathing, you can probably only remember the last two years, that you have enough experience to deal with an enemy that's been there for 6,000 years. He knows humankind much better than you think. And he knows every breath you give and every look you give. He can't read your mind, but he can read your body language. And he can discern by the way you do a thing that he can predict where you'll end up continuing on that path. He has a strategy for every person in this room and he is capable of playing out that strategy if you don't have the full armor of God in your life. He says, now put on the whole armor. It's, it's, you have to put off certain things to be able to put on the armor. If you want to go on a date, you have to take off your jammies. To put on the right stuff. You can't, you can't put on, the, uh, for instance, um, the breastplate. Of, let's talk about a belt, belt, belt of truth. You can't put on the belt of truth if you still have on your old belt of lies. You, you have to sort of, you can't put on two belts. Who have you got two belts on your, except the Uffies guys. That's not nice. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And God is telling us, he's talking to the Ephesians. He's not writing this to the apostles in, in Jerusalem. He's writing this to the Ephesian church. And he's saying, put on the whole armor because you'll fight. You have a fight and the fight is not just against you. You have every level of the demonic set against your success. And the devil is not trying to stop you from building a coffee shop. The devil is not trying to stop you from buying a VW Polo. But everything that is set up is trying to block you from getting into the destiny that God has set before you getting to know who he is, getting to love him and have him know you and speak into your life and you hear his voice. The devil, everything, he has set up different levels of the demonic to keep you out. He says your fight is not against the flesh and blood. It's not against your wife. If your marriage is a problem, your fight is not your wife. If you are struggling in your marriage, most of you are single. So take this as a future lesson. It's like you go to university, you, you learn about engineering before you engineer. So you come to church, so we teach you about marriage before your marriage. That's how I think it works. Your wife is not the problem when your marriage has, it's these principalities and rulers of darkness and, 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 and all these levels of the demonic that are set up against you that has gotten hold of your mind and is now affecting your marriage. 
And if you are not wise enough as a Christian to discern it's not your wife, it's a demon, you'll begin to fight your wife and not the demon. And your argument, although you say it's the demonic, your argument is still with your wife. And you and your wife are shouting at each other while it's not her, it's a demon. And both of you are screaming at each other and the demon is eating your frosties at the kitchen table. He's sitting there pouring a glass of milk. And I just want to tell you now, this is a, this is a free gift to all of you. If you're hungry at night, take Marty biscuits, crush it, not too much, put it in a glass, pour milk on it, take a tablespoon, enjoy, that's free. It'll change your life. That's why, we, why I'm building paddle courts, to counter the bad advice. principalities against powers against rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness and therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day having done all to stand if you've done everything God is not asking you can you please advance and build out the kingdom of God on the earth God has not put that responsibility on you that responsibility is on Jesus he is building his church and his rule and reign and his victory is already gotten at uh, Golgotha, Golgotha, yes, 2,000 years ago, he has the victory, it's on his shoulders, that responsibility, it's not on yours, you cannot rule the world, it's not your responsibility, your call, your only call is to remain standing, that you can withstand, and after having done everything, that you would remain standing, that you would finish your race, and when we look at you, it should be a dust cloud, like the Tasmanian devil cartoon, dust cloud everywhere, and when the dust settles, you're still standing. Everything that happens around you, you're still standing. When he throws everything at your marriage, it's still standing. When he throws everything at your finances, you're still standing. When he throws everything at your children, you're still standing. When he throws everything at your health, you're still standing. When he throws everything at your familial relationships, you are still standing. When he throws everything he can, including the kitchen sink, as the proverbial saying goes, that you are still standing. Put on the whole armor of God, having done all that you would remain standing. That is the testimony because that the outcome, we are all tested with the same, same destructive forces around us, everything set against us. The same rain that falls on the sinner falls on the saint. We, the sun that beats down on us beats down on the sinner and the saint alike. But even if it's all done and said, said and done, when the sun sets and when the rain stops and every Bishop Michael Pitt says that every storm runs out of rain. Every storm runs out of water. When it's all said and done and the dust settles, are you still standing? If he tests you with an addiction or pornography or of a moral failure, if he tests you with whatever uh, decisions you make that wasn't from God and you made a mistake, even if you've stumbled and you've fell, the Bible says the righteous stumbles seven times but gets up every single time. You cannot consider yourself righteous and think that you will not stumble because you're righteous, even if the righteous stumbles. But the question is not if you stumble and stay on the ground, it's that you get up and that after everything is said and done, are you still standing? So to try and prove it, I'm not going to go through the different uh, aspects of the armor of God that you have to put onto your life. I want to try and take you through a story of the characters in the Bible and see how important this is. The devil plays dirty games with us. And we have this amazing Bible that I think is so really spectacular. And you have to fall in love with the Word of God. And you have to desire to be filled with the Word of God. And you have to desire or create within you a hunger to study the Word of God. And you have to ask the Holy Spirit consistently to cause a hunger to come up inside of you. Cause that to become your preference so that you become hungry for the Word of God because it's the Word of God beyond anything else that is a solid foundation to build your life on. Don't build your life on fables and stories and, and opinions of man. Build your, your, your life on the, the, the Word of God. He is the only thing that you can trust. Now, I want you to go with me. We can start in, let's see where. In... Um, I think uh, it's not in my notes. Let's go to Peter first. Peter 5, 13. We'll start there. 
if I can find Peter again, same struggle. It's after a year. Peter, there we go. A simple verse tells us something. I want to go through a couple of characters with you. And he says, she who is in Babylon elect together with you, greet, uh, she who is in Babylon elect together with you, greet you, and so does Mark, my son. So Peter is one of the original 12 apostles. Peter has some experience with Jesus. I mean, Peter was really, really a guy whose faith was tested. And you know, the Bible begins with Matthew, which is New Testament, which is really easy. The gospel according to Matthew, then Mark, and then um, Luke and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let us believe that although it doesn't explicitly say so, that the, the gospel according to Mark is John Mark. Gospel according to Mark is, is, is in my opinion, and what I've read, uh, uh, written by John Mark. It's possible that it was John that wrote the gospel of, of Mark. Now, Peter, let me see here. Matthew, Mark. I have this wonderful Bible. Let's see what it says, who wrote Mark. Author, even though Mark's gospel anonymous, is anonymous, early traditions is unanimous that the author of this gospel was John Mark. I was right. Whew. I almost had a heart attack when I thought about it. Am I sure? I normally check facts, but I just assume. But I was right. It's it's, it's ascribed to John Mark. John Mark. So Peter is saying, my son Mark greets you. Which leads us to understand that it's possible that Peter introduced John Mark to the faith. Why else would he say, John Mark greets you my son? So it's generally accepted that Mark, the guy who wrote the book of Mark, because his surname is in there, and Matthew, Matthew, this is what we're teaching you today. So we have Peter, and Peter introduced Mark to, to the gospel. So we have Mark and, and, and Peter. And, and, and so we know that, I want to read you this verse, Luke 9, 62. He says, but Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's tough. I'm trying to talk to you about characters and then drop that verse on you. Put that on the screen, that verse, and so let's look at that verse. It says, no, no one having put his hand, it's in Luke 9, 62. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So in other words, God wants you, Peter, uh, Paul elaborates on this, and Paul says, I want you, having done all, to remain standing. He doesn't want you to take a step back. He doesn't want you to turn back from the gospel. He wants you to remain standing. Jesus himself says, no one having put hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He shows us this with Lot's wife being saved from Sodom and Gomorrah. When he says to her, the angel says, don't look back. And while she's walking out with her husband Lot, being saved, hearing shouts and screams, she is so interested in what's behind her. She turns and looks back. Uh, we, have, we have Elijah and Elijah who walks past him, throws his jacket on him and says to him, follow me. And, and when he goes, he catches up with him. Oh, he just walks past him. He says to him, can I just go and greet my family? He says, what do I have to do with you? Do what you please. If he had gone to greet his family, he would have lost out on the second, on his call with, with Elijah. But he burns the plow. His commitment is, is solidified by the fact that he burns his bridge. So many of us are not burning bridges because we're not sure this is a sure thing. So we're standing but looking back in one hand and making sure that if we were to take a step back, there would be a solid ground to take a step back on. When I was called into the kingdom of God, my old friends, my pastor said, you have to phone them and tell them what happened to you. And I said, to what degree? He says, you either, you either lose them or you lose this because you can't have both. And I tried for a very long time to convince them to follow me to church, but they never wanted to. Every time I spoke to them, they convinced me to do what they did. Every time I showed up at their parties, it wasn't long before I had a beer in hand. Because there, at one point, there has to be a bridge that is burned. You either pursue God or you don't. But he says that you remain standing. You can't look back. Anyone who puts his hand to the plow but looks back is not worthy to enter the kingdom of God. And so if you don't have a commitment to this, the kingdom of God doesn't just mean heaven, that you ascend into heaven and there you float around like an angel eating grapes and playing a harp. 
when he talks about the kingdom of God, he talks about the authority of God into the kingdom of God, having the dominion of God delegated to you and operating in that dominion. You can't get to that if you're looking over your shoulders your yesterday. If you are smelling the, the, the meat pots of Egypt, your yesterday life, if it keeps pulling you back, you walk past the guy smoking weed and you go like, oh, the good old days. Not that I would know what it smells like. It's just I'm saying that's what I've seen people do. Does that make sense? And so, so we have Peter and, and, and watch this. Now we have Peter who is an apostle. This is Peter for crying out loud. This is Peter. Peter, he doesn't hear about Jesus. He sees, he saw Jesus. I mean, we've all heard about Jesus and we see Jesus in, in, in a way, but he physically touched Jesus. Walked with, he was there and he was buddies with Judas. He was in the room when a demon entered Judas. This is Peter. And now Paul, a couple of years after Peter, Paul gets saved and Paul now becomes an apostle of God. And he is not one of the original 12. And Peter and Paul is in Antioch. And now, now I'm, I'm trying to connect the different characters in the story, how they fit together. And Peter, we know, introduced, possibly saved Mark's life by giving them the gospel. And Mark wrote the book of Mark. And now we have Paul that gets saved. And Paul, at one point, has a disagreement with Peter. Are we following the names? So Paul is the guy that wrote most of your New Testament Bible books. And so we, we jump in in Galatians chapter 2. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him in public. That's a radical thing. I mean, Peter opposed, was opposed by Paul in public. Peter was opposed by Paul in public. I opposed him in public because he was clearly wrong. He was clearly wrong. Before some men who had been sent by James arrived, before some men who had been sent by James arrived there, Peter had been eating with the Gentile believers. But after these men arrived, he drew back and would not eat with the Gentiles. That's a basic two sentence accusation. It's very easy. When there are certain people, you behave a certain way. And when there are other people, you change your behavior. This is... Peter, who is an apostle, and Paul has a problem with his behavior. Now, if Peter could be rebuked by a guy who wasn't even present when Jesus was there, who do we think in the church we are that we can't take a rebuke? We call that abuse. There's a lesson in it. There's a lesson in it that you shouldn't so be easily be offended. Because Peter could have been offended and have, could have left the gospel and did something else because the church, it was, Peter could have been church hurt. Peter could have been church hurt because he's now in public. I mean, how many, how many people go, do you know who I am? Have you heard people say that, do you know who I am? Peter could have used that card and said, do you know who I am? So I'm Peter. Here's my badge. Jesus stayed in my house. Paul, did Jesus stay in your house? And Peter was opposed by Paul. And Paul rebuked him because when the, the people sent by James came there, he would eat with the Gentiles. And as soon as the Pharisees or, or the, the other Jews who were in the camp of the circumcision would come there, who would be in agreement that you have to obey the law to get to salvation, would arrive, Peter would change his behavior to fit them too. So Peter, who's our guy, don't be confused, Peter is our guy, but here Peter is trying to fit in with one crowd and he's trying to fit into another crowd. Isn't that how we sometimes behave? People change immediately and Peter did that. Paul's, Paul opposed him publicly. And, and, and he says, because he was afraid of those who were in favor of the circumcision then. The other Jewish believers also started acting like cowards along with Peter. So when Peter, watch this, when Peter, who is the head of, of, of the apostles, I mean, he's their speaker. When he begins to act like a coward, it empowers other believers to act like cowards too. Watch that. Put it on the screen. Watch it. Watch, watch, watch. He says, because he was afraid of those who were in favor of the circumcision. He was afraid. His, his fear caused his behavior to change. The other Jewish believers also started acting like cowards along with Peter. This is the good news translation. What translation do we have here? Acted hypocritically. Mine says cowards. Along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by hypocrisy. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you these characters and play out their story for you. We have Mark. We know about Mark. We know about Peter. We know about Paul. And Paul has an issue with Peter. Why? Because 
Barnabas is starting to act like a, a crazy person because Peter can't keep his act together. It's important in church for you group leaders to act the part. Because when you don't, you give the permission to those who are in your you groups to act like you. We're going to deal with it tonight. Are you good with that? I'm coming. Barnabas is the guy that you would read about in Acts chapter 4, I think. He had this piece of land and he would sell the land and he would take that money from the land sale and put it at the feet of the apostles. Is that in Acts chapter 4? Can you check for me? Uh, at the end of that chapter, just before Ananias and Sapphira. And so, so Barnabas, so, so tell me that your seed has no bearing on your calling. And I would present you with scripture from Barnabas that he became and was considered an apostle after a very large seed. Now you can't buy apostleship. I think the apostleship was in him and that's why the seed wasn't an issue to him. He didn't give the seed and then became an apostle. I, I, I was a husband before I was a husband. I was a pastor long before I was a pastor. You don't become a pastor the day you get ordained. You're a pastor long before that. The, the work of a pastor is done long before you're, 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 you're a pastor. Because if you only begin to do it after you got, get the appointment, you're not going to do it. And so Barnabas, possibly out of his revelation, brought the seed. Because that was signs that he understood, the, the, had the, the, an understanding of the mysteries of God. Is it in chapter 4? Put it on the screen. Let's read that. And Joseph, who was also called uh, by the apostles... Barnabas, which means son, son of encouragement, a Levite, a native from Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now chapter 5, we jump we, to Ananias and Sapphira who tries to copy this, but they didn't, don't do it. They do it half-heartedly. One foot in trying to get people to love them in church and the other foot trying to be rich at the same time and they die in, in, their, in the church. And so we have Barnabas in the story. Now Barnabas is one of those guys in chapter 13, I think, of Acts, or later on, I think later on maybe, which is with Paul, called Zeus, and what's the other guy? I can't remember his names. Zeus and, is it not Hermes? Zeus and Hermes. When they begin to do signs and wonders, people look at Barnabas and Paul and call them Zeus, and they tear their clothes because they say, you shouldn't look at us, you should look at Jesus. It's Jesus who's doing these things, it's not us. But the Greeks know their gods and want to affirm their beliefs, imprint their belief system on what God is doing. Many people in South Africa is doing the same thing. They're taking Christianity and trying to make that work with their traditions and their culture and trying to mix Christianity with their culture. It's not just a South African problem, it's a universal problem. You can't do that in any country. Christianity stands by itself. Jesus came for every skin color, every bloodline. There's one bloodline that comes from Adam and Eve. Doesn't matter what your skin color is, you all come from Adam and Eve. And Jesus died for all alike. Even if your language are different, Jesus died alike for all. And you don't mix that with what you have and think that you're going to blend it in with your world. And so, so you have now Barnabas who's seeing Peter act the fool. And Peter, now, now we, when we have Christians who cannot be called out, when you've ascended to a level of authority that you think you can't be called out for bad behavior, I think that's a very dangerous place. And that's one of the plans of the devil to destabilize you because if you stand alone, God's going to deal with you anyway. And Peter is acting a fool and him acting a fool is giving other believers, he is, he is not acting from a place of faith, is acting from a place of fear. His behavior changes. Now, now you say, how do I relate with that? If you, if you fear being rejected, you're going to change your behavior. Group pressure. We call it peer pressure in school. If you want to be in the in group, because if you're not in the in group and you get rejected, that rejection begins to manifest in the way you look, the way you dress, the way you walk, the way you talk. When you walk into a room and your shoulders begin to slump and people begin to bully you because now that, and the more you, you pull back and stand for something, the more you begin to fear them, the more it begins to manifest. If you don't have a revelation that your resistance to their behavior doesn't make you less than them, but it empowers you, you're going to shrink back and not size up. Does that make sense? Some of us are not responding in, 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 in fear that they're going to beat us. We respond in fear that they're going to reject us. 
Let's say your company has a breakaway and they want you to walk on fiery coals to overcome fear. And you say, that's not within my belief system. And they say, if you don't walk on this coals today, we'll fire you. How many of us would rather walk on the coals than be fired? This is where the, where the thing comes in. Because then you are no longer standing. On what are you standing? If you change what you are convicted about to fit in and to be accepted by all, you have to understand the Bible says, Jesus says, if they rejected me, they'll reject you. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Who do you think you are to not be persecuted? And so, so Peter is not even an outsider that's giving a plausible argument to how the universe works. He is an insider, a prominent head of the church. He is the apostle Paul and he is acting out of fear. And his, his slight step back is giving other permission, others permission to act like him. Well, if the pastor can do it, I can do it. This is an indictment to you and to myself. Our behavior matters. The way we speak matters. The way we say a thing matters. The way we leave a taste in someone else's mouth matters. If people do business with you and you leave them hurt and you win, it matters because it gives other Christians to do the same permission to do the same. When you shrink back from a fight, you're giving your children permission to shrink back in life. If you don't learn how to stand on what you believe, how will your children do it? How will your people that's around you do it? If you have a you group and you don't, you don't represent the kingdom of God accurately, you give them permission to be hypocrites themselves. If they catch you off guard and here you do that, but on Sunday you do that, you give them permission to be the same because we, we reproduce after ourselves. Banana trees makes bananas. You reproduce what you have. And Paul calls Mark a son. Ah, Peter, Peter, Peter calls Mark a son. And here Peter is misbehaving. And Paul comes on the scene and rebukes him for that. He calls him out. And Peter, even Barnabas was swept along by his cowardly conviction. Barnabas, this is in the, the Good News translation, more ac aggressive wording. In the Good News translation, more radical words. If, 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 if Barnabas, who is referred to as Zeus at one point, acts a coward because another one does it, it's contagious. Your behavior is contagious. In the church culture, we'll pull people higher because our culture and our behavior is contagious. When we are filled with faith, we give other people permission to act in faith. It rubs off on people. When we act the coward, we tell other people hide because it's cowardly. When I saw my pastor, when, when I was a young man, this is where my first introduction to real faith was really had. I was already friends with, with, with Azelle, who is married to Pastor Louis. At the time, there was only three people. I, I had no choice. I lost all my friends. She was what was left in the church, and I was friends with her. And I left all my friends. But we were in this tent. Now, I loved the church, dearly loved the church, and I loved going to church. And I, it, it was amazing. We had a tent church. I remember... That church didn't look like this. Yo. It was a tent church. And it felt like it was the biggest tent in the world. It was. It was like 100 people tent. Now looking back, it was quite small. But then as a young man sitting there, it was big. There was once a storm going through that region. And we, I remember us lifting up our feet on a, a New Year service as it was raining, pouring down rain. And we, I didn't go out. I went to church. And we would... If it got too bad, pastor would say, go to your cars, wait in the cars. I'll let you know when we come back. And when it stopped raining, we would come back into the service. And water would be running over the floors of that tent. But we tried to have church. But at one point, there was a storm that went through and it ripped the tent apart. It ripped that tent apart and everything was scattered. Speakers and it was just flat on the ground. The sun was shining, but the next morning we got there. And I saw my pastor standing right in the middle of that tent and the piano standing there. And I was like, my, my mouth was hanging open. I was like, oh, yeah. It's over. It's done. We're done. I, can, I must find a new church. We're done. And he was just very happy, smiling, calm. And I thought, to him, why are you not freaking out? Why are you not absolutely just running up and down this place, shouting like a girl? Why? And I said, no, God will provide. It's not my problem. It's his problem. But I didn't know that two, three weeks before that, God had told him to increase the insurance on the, on the tent. 
and he had raised the insurance on the tent. But that wasn't just why it was calm. It was just calm because it's in God's hand. And I, his calmness taught me something about faith. That doesn't matter what storm you're in, if you can remain calm and have your faith in God, God's going to be there for you. Now imagine, this is where we're at. This is where we're at because it started somewhere. There was seed that was deposited in my life by other believers who acted the part. What if that day he was sitting there holding his head? What if that pastor was sitting there freaking out? And as a young, impressionable, newborn Christian would see my pastor freaking out. Last Sunday you preached about God's provision and now you're sitting there head in your hands. What impression would that have left on me? And what permission would that have given me? But if he doesn't act like a child in that circumstance, what gives me permission to act like a child in my own circumstance? Him acting like a person filled with faith gave me permission to respond in faith to my circumstances was tens blown down. Makes sense. And so Paul rebukes Peter. He says, how dare you do it? Barnabas begins to act like Peter. Paul is, a, is offended with this. He says, when I saw that they were not walking in the straight path in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you have been living like a Gentile. Now, not like a Jew, how then can you try and enforce Gentiles to live like Jews now? So Paul rebukes Peter. Now, go with me to Acts chapter number 12. When they were first past, when they were past the, the first and second guard post, this is... Um, Peter that was imprisoned at one point. So Peter is growing and he's learning and he's, he's getting better. Now it's possible that the Galatians Antioch event where Peter rebuked, uh, Paul rebuked Peter was at the same time as Acts chapter 12 and 13 more or less. Um, let's read Acts 11 first, 25 to 26. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. So they give Barnabas now permission to go and find Saul. And when Saul, this is before Peter was reduced. So you have to, the reason I'm giving you this, the story is I'm trying to talk about Peter, Mark, Paul, and Barnabas. Four guys, right? I can't even remember your names, but I remember them with their names. Four people. And there's a, there's a timeline more or less how this happened. If Paul rebuked Peter, it has to be before the event that Paul was converted. After the event, obviously, that Paul was converted. And Barnabas had put Paul in ministry because Paul, as a young Christian, won't rebuke an apostle yet. So that has to be at a later stage of his life. So we're in Acts 11 now, and Barnabas goes and he finds Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. This is the first place the Christians were actually called Christians. So Barnabas is now number one and Paul is number two. So Paul begins to journey and follow and be taught, be taught by Barnabas. Barnabas is the guy who brought a seed, put it at the feet of the apostles, and himself now is being used by the apostles as a teacher. He finds Saul. Saul begins to teach with him. So Barnabas is doing a great, great thing. We jump to chapter, um, let me see if I can read it in my own Bible here. Acts chapter number 12. You still following? Acts chapter number 12. And when they first were past the first and second, the Paul is now uh, uh, imprisoned. And so Peter, uh, Peter is in prison. They walked past the first and the second guard post. They came to the iron gate and it leads to the city, which opened of them on its own accord. So Peter was the first guy to see an electric gate. It says there, the, gate, the, the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened on its own accord. It was a motion sensitive gate. Everybody has a business and it might be Paul that installed that gate. I don't know. Uh, no. And then went out and went down one street. Immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I for certain uh, that the Lord, know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel. And he has delivered me from the hand of Herod, from the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. So we now know 
that John Mark was important to Peter. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was, surname was Mark, where many was gathered together praying. And Barnabas and Saul was appointed. So Barnabas and Saul in verses 25, jump to 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem with, when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So, so Peter gets, follow the story. Peter gets out of the prison. He goes to Mary's house. This is John Mark's mother's house. So John got saved. His whole house got saved. So Peter is in the house there with John Mark. Now eventually in chapter 12, Paul and Barnabas gets sent out on a missionary journey. And you'll notice that Barnabas's name is still mentioned first. Barnabas's name is mentioned first. And Paul goes out on this missionary journey with, with Barnabas. And they take with them who? John Mark. And they, uh, Barnabas so returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John whose surname was Mark. So Barnabas and Saul goes out onto this ministry trip and they took Mark. You're not going to believe this. Mark, it's, I don't know where it says that. I'm trying to save some time. Let me see if I can find it for you. Um, Mark is actually the cousin. Yes, Colossians 4.10 says, My fellow prisoners, Aristarchus sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So this whole people, all of them are connected. Mark, Peter goes to Mark's house where his mother is, and they send out Barnabas and Paul together. But Barnabas, Mark, John Mark, who wrote the book John Mark, is the cousin it's a cousin. My cousin? Only in South Africa. He is the cousin of Barnabas. I'm saying these names slowly because I'm just getting tongue-tied. He is the cousin of Barnabas. All right? So you have the three, Barnabas and Paul, going out on a missionary journey. Both of them now seniors, having taught together for a year there in Antioch. They're the seniors, and they take this junior guy, Mark with them. This is chapter 12. Right? Where are we? Chapter 12. Now, Acts 13. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, uh, these guys, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord, fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they were held, had a fast, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas is still first. Saul is second. And Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. Verse 4. The two of them sent out on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. John was with them as their helper. So John Mark, who wrote Mark, was their helper. What do you think he helped with? He carried the bag. He was there serving their ministry. He was the junior in the group. I'm in the NIV version. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met. It feels like they went on a very cool Greek trip. There they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Ilimius, the sorcerer, that's what his name means. Opposed them and tried to turn to the proconsul from the, from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, what's in you makes the difference, looked straight at Elimus and said, you are a child. See, Paul, you know how many people got church hurt in Paul's church? We don't know because we lost count. You come into church, you're in a you group, you just, I sense God saying that he wants it. Paul goes, son of Satan. Stop prophesying, son of Satan. It's like, oh, say it for you. We just say, yo. You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop averting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You will be going blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately a mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teachings about the Lord. Now verse 13, that was in verse 12. 
Now, put on verse 13 what happens here. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, here's the, here's the picture. You, you have Paul and Barnabas. It was Barnabas and Paul. This is where a shift happens. Barnabas is the one that got Paul to follow him. Barnabas is the one that helped Paul get into ministry. Paul, it was always mentioned Barnabas, then Paul. John, so I'm giving you scenarios why John left them and what the end result was and why it's important for you to remain standing and why it's important to choose the right people around you who you run with and why John left. So Paul and John uh, Barnabas is you're busy. The sorcerer is perverting the truth. That he is blocking someone from hearing the gospel. If you've been given somebody the gospel and you're someone else chipping in all the time and making it very difficult to preach the gospel, you have to know when you're two together and you're, you're, there is, when you're two witnessing together, free lesson in evangelism, and somebody's listening to you, you can see who the gospel is meant for and you can see who the devil is placed there to distract you. Because the one is just talking, trying to, he's not taking anything in your saying, he's trying to be at your level and talk at your level. So if you're two, one of you should be praying to bind his opinion. God, I bind this, this distraction right now. I'm praying, God, I pray that the word would touch this person right now. Just whisper it. Pray it on the inside, but bind that person because that person is perverting the plans of, of God to get the person saved. That's how Pastor Louis got saved. In actual fact, Chanel was praying because there was another person chipping in all the time. And I was dead on focused on Pastor Louis to give him the gospel. And so here, Paul and Barnabas is preaching the gospel. Small little John, Mark, John Mark, who got saved by Peter, is standing there watching this thing. And this is, I think, a heated moment. This is Paul's moment. I mean, from here on, the Bible doesn't talk about Barnabas and, and Saul. It talks about Paul and Barnabas. The order shifted after this event. This is where Paul's ministry got elevated. And not, not that Barnabas has got diminished because Barnabas is not trying to act like a child. Barnabas understands that there is hierarchy here and that God, this is God's will. And Paul is called for a specific mission different to mine. But Paul now, it's now Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas has, has a cousin called John. I don't think John liked it. One of the possible reasons that John turned to go back was that he didn't like what happened to Barnabas, his cousin. But the question is, why did Barnabas not take as much offense as John? Sometimes we take offense on behalf of people that's not even offended as we are. Yes. A second possibility to this could be that John was just very afraid. He got saved by Paul, uh, 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 Peter. Peter, we know, acted afraid when the other gentile. And John is watching when Paul rebuke a sorcerer. Now we've seen a lot of things in church, but you haven't seen Uncle Paul rebuke a sorcerer. And the guy, imagine somebody standing in church, you go like, be blind. And the guy goes, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm the first one out. Not really. I'll be the one doing the rebuking. <clears throat> but I think John skrikt so groot. I think he had the fright of his life. He said to himself, what? We're going to die. Because the proconsul and the sorcerer, all of them had authority. And it's, it's, you do this, you keep poking, you're going to get somebody upset. And I'm thinking young little John Mark is standing there looking at this and going, this ain't for me. And he says, he is in the crowd with Barnabas and Paul, and he still turns around and walks away. Put that verse back up. He returns to Jerusalem. He says, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Paul didn't forget this moment. Because to Paul, this call is serious. When you put your hand to the plow, you don't turn back. When you commit to something, you take a stand and you stand. Even if they curse you, throw you with rocks and stone you to death, you stand until you die. You don't remove yourself from your positions. He would even rebuke an apostle called Peter if Peter would behave in a different way. He was a man of conviction because he stood by when they 
We stoned Stephen to death. He saw that. He was the guy that persecuted the church. He is the guy that heaven opened up a bright light shone on him and he got turned blind so that he would be blind to the darkness that was in him. And he had a moment to see God. This was a man of conviction. And when he rebuked that sorcery, it doesn't come from a place I want to be famous. It comes from a place I'm convinced that Jesus is Lord. And young little John Mark looks at this and he is not ready for this level that they want him to operate on. We jump, we jump, where is this? On Cyprus. So, so first Peter, um, Acts 15. Now in Acts 15, 36, Peter and Paul were to go out. So sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Sicilia and strengthened the church. Paul was so convinced. Yeah, listen to me. I'm not a brick proponent of cutting people out of your lives. I have very, very, very seldom cut people from my life. Very, one, two. Leaving friends and a whole group, a bunch of people is leaving old life. That's not cutting people out. Cutting people out is being at this juncture in my life saying that me and you, we can't continue along this journey. And mean cutting out means that I, you are cut out. You are no longer part of what I do. I'm not a proponent of that. And I don't think that's what Paul is doing here. I am a proponent of discipline and order. I, I think that there is value to being a person of order and discipline. And Paul says, listen, this young man, what he did there in Pamphylia, he'll do again when we get into trouble again. He left us in Pamphylia. I'm not taking him on a missionary journey because this is life and death. Maybe we should ask one another, what is this to you? What is this church to you? Is it a good social event on a Sunday? What is this to you? Because Paul says, we're not taking him to please him. I'm not a people pleaser. Imagine how church hurt John must have been. John Mark, I want to go with you, Peter, uh, Paul, and Barnabas. I want to go with you. I'm your cousin. Paul says, you ain't coming. Church hurt. Hashtag church hurt. Hashtag church abuse. Who do you think you are? All I need is Jesus. Jesus appointed me. Who do you think you are? Paul says, I'm Paul. You're not going with me. Barnabas got so upset with Paul. He says, Paul, Paul says, oh, everyone except John. <laughs> Anyone can come, but John is not coming. Keep John. No, but Paul, this is not right. Barnabas is saying, we're all for Jesus. Team Jesus. We all have the t-shirt. Paul says, you're going to have the t-shirt. Keep the t-shirt. You ain't coming. He gets so sharp a disagreement. Barnabas, I think this is the way I see it play out. Barnabas got like, putting my foot down. I'm not going if John is not coming. Paul said, I'll miss both of you. <laughs> Turns around. Silas is sitting there eating Frosties. <laughs> Silas is sitting there minding his own business watching rugby, which is on. What's the score? <laughs> I'm watching you. Silas is minding his own business. Paul walks past Silas and says, Paul, I think Paul's a nasty guy. Church abuse. He walks past Paul, Silas's table. He goes, looks at Silas, flips his board, throws his oral wound. Come, we're leaving. That's literally how I think Paul did it. I think Paul did it like this. He walks up to his desk. He's like, Silas goes, what the hell, man? He says, come, we're going on a missionary journey. Let's go. And Barnabas and Mark are standing there going, uh huh. But who you hang around with is important because closely after this, Paul gets imprisoned. He gets imprisoned with Silas. Imagine Paul got imprisoned with Mark. If Paul got imprisoned with Mark, Paul would have been in trouble. Because Mark is a scary little pants. He hides behind one Barnabas. And in prison, there's no Barnabas. And in prison, it's not prison nice prison. This is Jesus' time prison. 
I was in Israel recently. I'm kidding, it's not funny. I forgot, so I have to go back. But their prisons and I, so, so imagine Mark, who's a man who's turned his back, ends up in prison with Paul. That would have turned out very differently for Paul. Because wherever two, three gathers on a thing, God will do a miracle. God will move mountains for you. Where two or three are gathered on a matter, agrees on a matter, so it shall be for them. If you have the wrong person who's not in agreement with you, if you have a Peter that goes like, oh, I think I'll sit with the Jews today because they're here. And then tomorrow I'll sit with the Gentiles. That's why Paul rebuked Peter because you're an apostle. You don't get to. You don't get to pivot between two thoughts. You're, you're not at liberty to be included with them and to be included with them. You're in with the one or out with the other. You're not in with both. Choose where you want to be. Choose your sides. Imagine Mark was there. And Paul says, don't be afraid, man. Mark goes like, let's sing a song. I'm not singing. But Silas was different. Paul begins to, mm, he hums. I can't hum, but he's humming. He's humming a song. I don't know what song, but he's humming a song. Worship team, get up here. It would have been so magic if you were up here and I was humming and you were to hum with me. And Paul is singing a song and Silas begins to sing a song and, Saul, and Paul begins to sing a song and Silas, Silas begins to sing. And, and, and this is in chapter 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed. Paul rebukes this little girl. Imagine Paul rebukes. There's a possibility that John Mark knew the sorcerer and was upset that Paul rebuked him as well. It is possible that Mark was in a disagreement with the way that Paul dealt with the sorcerer. It could be that Mark said, we don't deal with it this way. Why would you be so aggressive? He didn't like the way Paul did it. He returned back to Jerusalem. But it cut him out from the missionary journeys that Paul went on next. Be careful that you're not in the disagreement with what God put in position. God is not asking you who are supposed to be the helper, what the leader should be doing. And God did not stop Paul. He stopped Mark. And so Silas and, and Paul, after the rebuke and they get put in prison and they brought them to the magistrate, where is this? But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, waking from his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had flew, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself for we are all here. Paul didn't even leave an open prison. He was so calm that he would not even escape an open prison. He said, I'm not leaving. The doors are open, man. That should be God. That's a sign that you should walk out the doors. I'm staying. I'm so firm in what I believe that I'm standing. I'll stand right here. We haven't left. Call your masters. And that's how they converted so, much of the, so many of them by Paul taking a stand. At a later stage, I'm rushing to finish. At a later stage, Paul says to Timothy, bring with you Mark because he is a help to me. Paul understands he doesn't cut Mark out. He just doesn't put him in a situation that Mark can't handle yet. And he restores Mark. He says, Mark, bring Mark with you. He's of a great help to me. Mark has the grace of God. The grace of God is on Mark. And Mark is restored to the extent that it is possible that Mark wrote the book of Mark. That's a solid restoration. God's not going to put a coward's re recollection of an event in the Bible if it's a coward. This coward was restored. The same Peter wrote first and second Peter. We hear much of, of Apostle Peter because he was restored. He went through these things. What am I trying to say to you? Put on the whole armor of God. That in every situation, in every season that you get into, you stand. Having done everything, that you remain standing. When the devil came against my house, and when we were building this building, he came against my house and everything that I had. He tried to attack me in my mind and everything. By the grace of God, here we are. Having done all, here we stand. <laughs> Pastor Wilbert with his businesses. Any one of these pastors, having gone through different seasons, they're still standing. Having done all, 
stand. Every argument, every fight, that you remain standing. And whatever comes against you, marriage, that you remain standing. Standing on the Word of God. Then in the midst of every storm, you can sing hymns and prayers and send it up to God. And prison doors would open up all around you. Because you've decided to take a stand. Thank God that Paul had the grace to see that you surround him with the right people. Make sure that the people that you're on a journey with is the right people before you end up in trouble with the wrong person next to you.